Counter the latest internet sensation. This is going to be a game changer. People are banging on the door. It's incredible. The words I want to say I can't even get out of my mouth. They're having to be blamed for everything. There's no one who's shown more genius. He's a magnificent specimen of mankind. Good morning, Seb, and good morning to all your issues. Weekend Breakfast with Seb Costello on Triple M. Huge show. Happy Saturday, by the way. Coming up this morning, Australia's most likeable sportsman, Daniel Ricciardo, on the program just after his win in the F1 GP in Malaysia. And speaking of motorsport, we've got the next Mick Doohan himself, Jack Miller, on the program this morning ahead of his big ride at Phillip Island this weekend. Plenty kicking around, too, to talk about. We've had a guy who's been clocked doing over 90 kilometres above the speed limit. We'll bring you some details on that. And the greatest athlete on the planet is coming to Melbourne. I think you have a fair idea who I'm talking about, but I'll give some details a bit later in the show. More on that coming up. In the next half hour, why did Danny Green, Australia's four-time boxing world champion, get naked on television this week? Nudity on television in West Australia. I'm going to ask him. That's coming up very shortly. Danny Green there. and fitness with Danny Green. He's on the line now, the four-time boxing world champion. Morning, Greeny. Good morning, Seb. How are you, mate? My Perth sources tell me you were nuding up on television during the week. Well, <laughs> not quite nuding up, mate, but we have a thing over here. Uh, it's, it's called Telephone. Channel 7 put it on, and all the celebrities like the, the Home and Away and the Channel 7 stars all come across for it. They have been for years. Michael Jackson's been here. And- Hope you didn't get nude with Michael Jackson. No, no, I wasn't. I didn't get an invite. Um, so <laughs> I was too old. Um, I, um, I, uh, anyway, they raised twenty-six million dollars in um, twenty-four hours, and it goes to the uh, children's hospital here. And you know, it's phenomenal. Kids, your kids save up all year to give their pocket money. It really is a, a, a massive thing over in WA. Unbelievable, mate. And what they offered you some money to get your kid off. Yeah, well, I was, Nick Nat knew he was in there as well, and uh, someone came up and said, oh, look at this, I loaded in the phones, I'll give you 2000 bucks to take your top off on TV. I said, oh, come on. I said, give, give, give leave the other boy alone, give it to Nick Nat knew he. And he said he wouldn't do it, because you know, <laughs> he, he was a bit, a bit embarrassed to do it. So I um, I said, right, make it 3000 bucks, thinking they won't do it. And they came back with a minute and said, it's done, 3000 bucks. she's already paid the money. Did ratings go up or go down? Uh, well, I'm pretty sure if I'd kept it off, I would have been getting donations to put the thing back on. <laughs> That's it. You charge the audience on the on the way back as well, make a bit more money for the hospital. That's yeah. great, mate. Uh, speaking of footy, hey, uh, your Eagles picking up Sam Mitchell, the great Hawthorne Premiership player. Were you happy to see that happen? Yeah, it was. Uh, well, who wouldn't be happy? You know, I think the San Francisco 49ers would be happy to pick up that bloke. <laughs> he's, he's a phenomenal player, and uh, it's it's a massive massive thing for West Coast. And, um, you know, a huge loss for Hawthorne, but, uh, you know, obviously there's the machinations of what goes on in the trade period. It's something that, you know, everyone seems to think they know, but no one really knows about, apart from the people at the club. So it's huge for us. Now, mate, he's good. Now, so he goes from Hawthorne to the West Coast Eagles. Were you ever tempted to change teams when the Dockers came into the competition? Absolutely not. <laughs> uh, but I sat in the fence for a fair while, Stephen. Yeah. I get asked for a boys, who we go for? I tell them I'd go for any WA team, then I had to pick my, I had to go right here. But it's always been Eagles. I was lucky enough to go with my brother and my dad and watch them win their first grand final in 92 against the Cats. Oh, you were there, were you, at the G? Yeah. 
Yeah, mate. Well, we went across for that, and uh, we picked a great game to go. It was a fantastic game. They didn't they didn't start splitting them open until the last, you know, about the last five minutes, the last quarter. And kind of that was when they they kind of got the game won. So it was a great game. Man, that must be a pretty happy memory with the old man watching the Eagles win the flag. Yeah, it was, mate. My brother was there, and uh, yeah, it was fantastic. Then my brother and I went out after that. I, I don't know, it's not around anymore, but I, I have I have vague memories of the Tunnel Nightclub. <laughs> you and half of Melbourne. Yeah, mate. <laughs> Fantastic, mate. So, uh, also, I know the business career is kicking goals. You've got the uh, 12 rounds, which is the sort of boxing-based uh, high-intensity training program that you're involved with, but also you've got a new gym opening in Perth. Yeah, mate. It's, uh, it's been a very busy couple of months. My new, new gym over here, Greenzone Fitness. I've got one here now. We're opening another one north of Perth. And, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, it, we open next Thursday, actually. And it's pretty hectic. There's a lot of stress now because all the gear's getting put in. Then there's concrete dust. And it's, it's literally a work site and a construction site. But, uh, You've been awesome. giving orders? Have you been, like, uh, for, you know, project managing, just uh, telling everybody, get it right? Oh, well, I've been on the project manager's hammer a bit because we had a few, a few problems with the flooring. And, you know, I mean, it's a big, a big job. Like, you know, it's a decent-sized gym, and it's a good-sized construction site as far as the gym goes. There's a fair few problems going on, so there's all trades, you know, kind of crisscrossing over it. Yeah, just go over there and, you know, come down in there and throw, throw my weight around a bit. No one really listens, though, Ted. <laughs> oh, I don't know about that, mate. Why don't you start throwing a few combos? Well, mate, a pleasure to chat as always. Teamdownygreen.com.au is the website. Put your shirt back on, would you? Too easy, mate. Have a good weekend, <laughs> Trade period has been off its head. There have been players going everywhere, draft picks going everywhere. Over 30 players have been traded, and probably one of the ones we were watching the closest was Jager O'Meara. On the 13th of September, he nominated Hawthorne as his club of choice, and it took over a month for him to get there. In the end, it was nine minutes before the trade deadline at 2pm Thursday afternoon when the deal finally got done. Hawthorne having to do a deal with Carlton for some of their later picks in this year's draft to get a second round for next year and make that swap happen so that Jagger O'Meara could come from the Gold Coast and land at Hawthorne. In the middle of it was the player himself and he was a very, very nervous man. My manager texted me probably 30 minutes before it officially got done and said that it was looking good. I called him about 17 times this morning trying to trying to get an idea of what was happening and then yeah I was ecstatic ecstatic when it officially got done and, and it was great to speak to the family and for um, being a bit of a whirlwind so it was great to finally get it done and officially be a hawk. I was saying to the guys when I rocked up here I was sweating up the whole the whole day and uh, sitting at home by myself and just sweating and on the phone and trying to figure out what was going on and I had to have a shower before I came here because I was, I was pretty stinky. Um, yeah, so it was definitely stressful, yeah. Jagger O'Meara, the new Hawthorne player, having achieved the trade he wanted from the Gold Coast. And good thing too, I was told yesterday that Jagger O'Meara had well and truly already moved to Melbourne, that he'd found a place and that he has been living in Melbourne for two or three weeks. So had that trade not come off, it would have been pretty awkward for him. I believe that he is in a relationship with the daughter of Brendan Joyce, who is the coach of the Opals in the basketball. So they had sort of set themselves up in Melbourne. Of course, Brendan's based in Melbourne. So good thing that uh, that has all happened for him and a good thing for Hawthorne supporters too to have a player of that calibre. It is MotoGP weekend down at Phillip Island uh, and Australia really has a new up-and-coming champion to follow on the MotoGP circuit and he joins us on the line this morning. G'day, Jack Miller. There you go, mate. It's been a good few weeks for Australian motorsport. We saw Daniel Ricciardo winning the Malaysian GP in Formula One. So I guess what I'm asking is if you win at Phillip Island this weekend, would you like to see a group strip down to their jocks and do shoeys on the track? 
Yeah, you know, I, I, I sort of got the shoey off the um, the Mad Hueys, you know, a year ago almost to date. And then, yeah, when we uh, when we got the victory in Aston, we sort of, you know, copied them a little bit, and then it's just yeah, blowing up from there on, you know. And I mean, it was it was funny to see those boys. I mean, it was funny, but you know, it also sucked at the same time to see those boys getting a bit of trouble for it. But uh, no, it'd be awesome to see it again this weekend and. You know, who knows? It's all up to me. I have to pull my finger out, I guess, and uh, and give a good result this weekend to uh, see if it'll happen. Mate, there was a wonderful photo opportunity earlier in the week uh, where you and Mark Marquez got up on top of the MCG with your motorbikes. What was it like being up that high? Yeah, it was uh, pretty definitely a good experience, you know. Especially on top of the MCG there, you get just an unreal view of the... Uh, the Melbourne skyline, it was great. And, of course, to get the bike up there as well was something different, you know. It was made for an awesome photo op, you know, to get myself with the bike and also with the team boss and everything. So it was, uh, it was great. Now, mate, we've been chatting to your mum, Sonia, who's an absolute ripper over the past few weeks, and she keeps us up to date with what you're up to. But she did say to me a few weeks ago that because you're a you know, 21-year-old guy, got the world at his feet, travelling around all different countries as a star of sport, that she's had to uh, find a few spies within the team to try and keep an eye on you. Do you reckon you figured out who her informers might be? Uh, not yet, not yet, that's for sure. There's a few of them kicking around, but uh, yeah, I just got to go on my own way, I guess, it's almost to be. <laughs> oh, exactly, mate. And uh, is it... You know, it must be exciting travelling the world as you do, but what does it mean to come home and race in Australia? No, it's always nice, you know. The uh, Australian support is always unreal. They uh, they love it, you know, these guys here. Uh, the fans in Australia, I mean, they're, they're some of the most vocal fans I've, I've seen anywhere in the world. So, uh, And, you know, to come home and get the amount of support I get off them is just, uh, just an amazing feeling, that's for sure. And one more to finish off with, Mark Marquez stitches up the Riders' Championship already. You had a real breakthrough win, of course, uh, in the Dutch Grand Prix a couple of months ago. How far away do you feel you are from being up there, perhaps, in the race for the Riders' Championship? Uh, we'll keep trying at it. and I mean, we just got to keep working and trying to secure ourselves in our, our factory ride. And who knows where that'll take us? So we just got to keep working and keep plugging away. That, like I said, I'm only like you said, I'm only 21, and you know I still got a lot of time here. But uh, no, of course, I want to get there as soon as possible. That's for sure. Well, mate, we wish you well. Have a fantastic weekend, and we'll certainly be watching come Sunday and the 2016 MotoGP down at Phillip Island. Of course, all the action on Fox Sports across the weekend. So keep an eye on that. Jack Miller, good to chat. Cheers, mate. Nick Kyrgios. Let's talk about Nick, because he has taken on a rather unimaginable title this week. Over at the Shanghai Masters, you would have seen it. He was playing tennis. He got the irrits and decided he wouldn't try by doing a little dinky serve and walking straight over to the bench without watching how the return was going to come. And I'm telling you right now, he has replaced Anthony Mundine as Australia's most hated athlete. Have a listen to Nick Kyrgios after that match where he gave up. It's your choice. You want to buy a ticket, come watch me. You know what? I'm unpredictable. It's your choice. I don't know here anything. Physically tired, mentally tired, and I guess, you know, that's what I'm, I'm trying to work on, being, being able to be consistent every week, and I guess that's what's holding me back, you know, and just took the easy way out tonight. I don't owe you anything. Well, yes, you do, Nick. You owe the people who've paid to see you a game of tennis. That's your job. If you go on the ATP website, you've made $3.5 million in prize money. And that prize money doesn't just exist because you are God's gift to Australia. 
That's because the athletes that have come before you have built tennis into an international product that people want to watch on television and want to see in person. And people pay money to go and watch you. So yes, you do owe them an actual match. If they want tantrums and attitude, they'll watch the Kardashians rather than a game of tennis that you're playing. Get over yourself, Nick, and start winning and we'll get behind you. You have replaced Anthony Mundine now as our most hated athlete, and that is a pretty big effort considering Anthony is the guy that goes out there and says that Australia Day is a terrible day and that the country has a terrible history and kicks the flag and wants everybody to kneel during the national anthem, and yet you have replaced him. One triple three five three. We'll take your calls on this. Who is Australia's most hated athlete, Nick Kyrgios or Anthony Mundine? Greg at Murrelbark, what do you think, Greg? Mate. He started, mate, because I tell you what, this bloke has got the mental intelligence of a five-year-old. He's got all the ability under the sun. All he wants to do is make headlines. Give him a ration. Give him a... Put him... I'm foaming now. I had a beautiful morning. I heard his name again. I am embarrassed to be put under the same bus. When he goes out on TV and says, Nick Curios representing Australia, my eyes roll back and I feel like going fetal and crawling into the corner and crying. <laughs> you, will never, you will never, ever hear... You will never, ever hear his name mentioned alongside Pat Rafter... Nuke, Rosewall, Labor, you won't hear his name, you can't even put him in the same sentence. And to outdo Mundine as the most hated bloke in Australian sport, or, or the hated bloke, period, that's quite an achievement. Nothing to be proud of, should be embarrassed and ashamed, should climb back under the frickin' rock he come from, learn some manners, learn some etiquette, and if he really wants to try a new sport, go into boxing where people can actually take pleasure in punching the even suitcase out of this jerk off. Mate, I am first in line for that match. Well said, Greggy. You have gone very, very close to winning the Crown Oaks Day tickets. Hang on the line there. We'll see how you go. Let's go to Steve at Mount Martha. Steve, what do you reckon? Mate, how are you going? Mate, uh, Anthony Mundine or Nick Kyrgios, who's Australia's uh-huh. most hated athlete? Nick Kyrgios, thousand percent. Yeah, mate, I couldn't agree he's more. Absolute, yeah, he's an absolute joke. The only reason he's sorry is because his sponsorships are on at him. <laughs> Realise that he's going to lose money that way. That's it. But but he doesn't owe anybody anything. Even though these sponsors are paying to be a part of him, so their brand can sell more products to us. Nick, you're a salesman. You do owe us something. To Geelong, Matthew, who do you reckon, Mundine or Kyrgios? Ah, uh, Steve, you got me there. It's got to be Mundine, mate. He is the biggest flog. It's ironic. That, <laughs> it's ironic that you just played the boss, yep, Bruce Springsteen, because Mundine is the boss and Curios is the apprentice. Mate. Oh, mate, I like your turn of phrase. Very nice, and I think I somebody. Don't know, honestly, yep. I don't know why Mundine isn't Curios's coach. <laughs> Imagine them pair together, oh, mate. Oh, 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 no. Come on. Because Nick can't copper coach because he doesn't like people telling him what to do. But yeah, I could, oh, imagine those two together. Well said, Matty. To Declan at Kilsyth, Mundine or Kyrgios? Mundine, mate. Yeah, why do you say that? Uh, so I'm looking at it at the point of Mundine, that whole incident that happened over AFL grand final day when he was saying we should all take a knee yeah. to the you know, national anthem. I look at Nick Kyrgios. Yeah, he's a bit of a flogger at the moment, but I think he's struggling with some issues. Yeah, maybe. I think we're all pretty quick to jump the gun on him and call him a flog and all that, but I reckon he's going through some pretty rough stuff in his head to act that way, definitely. Yeah, mate, it's very consistent. A fair point, Declan, you got to keep in mind. I mean, yeah, that take a knee during the national anthem thing. Uh, you know, I know you can always do more on reconciliation issues and what have you, but when people want to bring movements that are clearly born of the United States into Australia and just try and force fit it, 
I mean, I think people need more to do. That is an American issue. It relates around Colin Kaepernick and the NFL. And it just, you know, clearly wasn't relevant here because even somebody like Buddy Franklin, who is an Indigenous athlete himself, said that Anthony Mundine was being stupid. Let's finish it off with Glenn at Diamond Creek. Mundine or Kyrgios, Glenn? I was going to say, I reckon they're on par, mate. I can't fix <laughs> the difference. They're, uh, they both just carry on like absolute flogs and they don't realise what a privilege it is to live and represent our country, I reckon. Well said, Glenn. Is there a better word in the English language, mate, than flog? I don't think so. <laughs> I haven't is, found one yet. It is a fantastic word. Appreciate all your calls. The Seven Network will be bringing you live coverage of the Cox Plate out at Mooney Valley today. And the man who you'll see front and centre on that coverage is Michael Felgate from Channel 7. Morning, mate. Uh, good morning, Seb. How are you? Mate, I'm very well. Last week we chatted and we said that the Melbourne Racing Club are just blessed with beautiful weather for the Caulfield Cup. It's not looking like that for Mooney Valley today. Unfortunately, uh, it's good to see that the racing is hot because we're going to need to get warmed up because <laughs> 13 degrees, rain, possible hail, it's like the middle of winter. So <laughs> it is going to be a, a very dreary day out there, but... When we've got the likes of Winks and Hartnell going around the Cox Plate, that will most definitely brighten everything up. Well, this is being touted as one of the great Cox Plate races of all time, potentially. Winks has looked unbeatable. How many races has she won in a row now? She's aiming for 13 in a row. Gosh, and so is she beatable? I don't personally think so. I think she's the best we've seen, and I think she'll prove it again. But Hartnell is a different horse to the one that raced against Winks last year. He is airborne at the moment uh, he has been dominating his races he beat Jamaica by three and a half lengths hard held last start and we saw what Jamaica did in the Caulfield Cup last week so personally I think the Melbourne Cup is Hartnell's race this will be a beautiful lead into the Melbourne Cup I don't think he'll have the speed to beat Winks over the 2040 at the Cox Plate but I think he'll run extremely well and he'll start a short price favourite in the Melbourne Cup. So 13 in a row, is there a chance, you know, a Winks is going to end up in the likes, in the company of the Black Caviars and and great horses that we've seen in Australian racing? No doubt about it. She's almost there. If she wins her second Cox Plate today, uh, there's an argument to be made that she is in the same category as Black Caviar, um, also the likes of Sunline. Of course, there's a difference here. The Black Caviar was never beaten. Winks is a horse that's developed uh, as she's got older and she's now unbeatable. She, her first uh, campaign, she was beaten quite a few times. It was until she grew into herself that this ability really shone. And, and she's got claims to being the best horse in the world. And if she wins impressively today, we may see the next year, the next frontier is to maybe take on the world after competing in the Sydney Autumn Carnival. I'd love to see that. Mate, you mentioned uh, Hartnell really firming in the Melbourne Cup field. Just give us a, a bit of a look at what that field is looking like. I see Godolphin had a win in the Geelong Cup during the week. So is it going to be a, a couple of international raiders competitive there? Or what is the Melbourne Cup field looking like? It'll be dominated by the internationals, as we've seen in recent years. Basically, Jamaica will be the only local hope. Uh, she'll be flying the flag for uh, Kieran Maher and, and uh, the locals here after winning the Caulfield Cup. And she'll be hard to beat, but... We're going to have Hartnell, who is an English horse originally. He was bought and he's been out here in Australia a couple of years now, trained by Godolphin. And then the local Godolphin horses, uh, as you mentioned, Kiwi, who won the Geelong Cup. But I think they're almost the second tier international wave. Uh, it's the ones that we haven't seen this time around that will be the hardest to beat, like Big Orange, who finished fifth in the race last year. And other internationals is a, a Japanese horse called Current Merotic, who has jetted in last week, so he'll be difficult to to beat as well. But look, if Hartnell performs as I expect he will today, he could start around about $3.50 on Melbourne Cup Day and be the one to beat.
I like it, mate. And let's just finish off with Damien Oliver, who we spoke about last week. He was appealing a reckless riding charge. I understand that that's going to be handed down by VCAT on Monday. And what he's hoping for is to have that lifted so he can race during some of the big days of the Melbourne Cup Carnival. What's the expectation there? Has he got a chance of lifting and getting that appeal uh, given in his favour? Look, he does have a chance that they may uh, shorten it because he's already missed the Cox Plate day today and he was meant to ride Vatamos, the French raider, in today's race, which will now be ridden by Mark Zara. So, you know, it's a, it's a lucrative time for the jockey. So, yeah, as you said, that handing that uh, decision will be handed down early next week and he's trying to get a day off it so he can ride on Derby Day uh, yeah, because right. at this stage he can return to ride in the Melbourne Cup on the Tuesday, but he's not eligible to ride on Derby Day. So he wants to try and get it... Uh, shaved off, so because the Derby Day is uh, the pinnacle race day in Australia with a number of Group 1 races, so it's a lot of money at stake. So that's what Ollie will be hoping for next week. Whether VCAT sees his way, well, it's hard to predict those, but you'd have to say he's, he's in with a, a chance. It's a big story. You've been all over it. On air from midday today on the Seven Network uh, with all the action from the Cox Plate. Michael Felgate, uh, have you packed your poncho or umbrella for today? Oh, dearie me, it's going to be wet. I'm going to have to wear an overcoat. Can you believe it? Wearing an overcoat. It's October. Where yeah. is spring gone? Tell me about it. Well, you'll get the best seat in the house in a, uh, yes. in, uh, on your lounge at home. That's it, and I will not be moving. Have a great weekend, mate. <laughs> Cheers, Seb. Usain Bolt is coming to our fair city. The winner of nine Olympic gold medals dominated over there in Rio and he's going to be a guest of Crown at Oaks Day. So he'll be there at Flemington on Oaks Day and he'll also be at the VRC Oaks Club Luncheon on the 2nd of November. Johnny Stephenson, the great Australian sprinter, is a good mate of his and he's been involved in bringing him out. But look out, ladies. Usain is coming to town. Yesterday I got asked uh, of all the you know great sporting events that I've been lucky enough to cover, be it the Mayweather Pacquiao prize fight in Las Vegas, NBA finals, you know Australian versus Australian, Bogut versus Della Vadova, or the Olympics. What was the most memorable event that I've seen in person? And I can honestly say, seeing Usain Bolt run in Rio is on the top of the list. In the stadium, the atmosphere was one of immense expectation, anticipation, excitement. You had all the Brazilians who, you know, for a country like that, which is developing and emerging on the world stage, they were all just so blessed and honoured to have an athlete the calibre of Usain Bolt in their country that they were all on top of, on his back. And then there was a huge capacity of Jamaicans there as well. And these are people that follow Usain Bolt around the world and watch him run in every track there is. And they were bloody noisy as well, which just made for an extraordinary night. And uh, I went back and dug into the archives because we did file a bit of a story for the hot breakfast on what it was like to be there the night Usain won 100 metre gold. And here it is. They were the first words you heard when you entered the Olympic Stadium. Other great athletes were already competing, but Usain Bolt was there to do the impossible. And crazy tonight for Usain, okay? He's a great hero. I mean, this is going to be one in the next 50 years. We won't see another Usain like this. Bolt was out to win a third straight Olympic gold in the 100 metres. He has turned and dozens of Jamaicans had made the journey to watch him in person. So it took me almost 24 hours to get here. But I will do it again for you, sir. Chris lives in Bolt's neighbourhood back in Jamaica. And he says the world champion spends his downtime playing soccer on the street with locals. We hang out together sometimes in Jamaica. He's a very humble, very cool guy. He hangs out with regular people like me and 
That's why we love him so much. Among those dressed in the Jamaican colours, Vilma Charlton, a three-time Olympic sprinter who ran with Raylene Boyle in the 1970s. He's awesome, and it's not only his performance, but his personality that goes with it. There wasn't nerves in the stadium. Anticipation, sure, expectation. And when the time came, it felt like the grandstand tightened around the track to watch the historic race. So let's have a look. Bolt's giving Gatlin a start. He's well back. Gatlin's got a good lead. Bolt to come in hard from Vietti. Gatlin's still in front. Usain's going to do it. He's a genius. The greatest. When Bolt crossed the line in first, they began to dance in the aisles. And once again, that chant picked up around the stadium. And then things began to quieten down. And I sought out another Jamaican. In another era, Johan Blake would have been an Olympic champion. He ran fourth in the 100 metres last night. But there was no jealousy, only awe for the man who made history here in Rio. When uh, people ask you, what's your view of Usain? How do you describe him as an athlete? I would say he's a true icon, he's a legend. You know, he's, he's amongst the, the, the greats, like uh, Mohamed Ali. You know, he's just incredible. And as you can see tonight, you call it 12 years and doing this and, and getting three gold medals. And it, it's incredible. He is incredible. That was the night Usain Bolt won gold in the 100 metres in Rio. And the news is he is coming to Melbourne for Oaks Day. Usain Bolt will be at the races. And his good mate John Stephenson is going to be squiring him around while he's in Melbourne. And Johnny's going to have a chat to us in about half an hour. So he'll be on the weekend breakfast. It's been the most explosive AFL trade period we've ever seen. The likes of Sam Mitchell and Jordan Lewis leaving Hawthorne. A player like Bryce Gibbs, who had a five-year deal with Carlton, prepared to walk out and get a trade to Adelaide. In the end, that didn't happen. And here's the head of footy down at Carlton, Andrew McKay, saying why it didn't happen. Adelaide weren't able to um, come up to the, to the level that we were required to, uh, to exchange Bryce Gibbs. Um, uh, I don't think it's important their final offer. What I think is important that um, we were very honest with Adelaide right from the word go on what it would take. Um, we're very honest with Bryce and we're very honest with his management. Adelaide weren't able to get to that level. Um, we're looking forward to Bryce donning on the navy blue jumper again next year. For more, we go to the number one newsbreaker in football, Triple M's own Damien Barrett. Damo, thanks for joining us. And that's now a fascinating situation where Bryce Gibbs walks back into Princess Park, having told the club just a few weeks ago he wanted out. Yeah, g'day, Seb, and it is. It's one of the uh, enduring uh, stories, isn't it, out, out of the trade period because it does have a, a ramification for, for Bryce. But I've got no doubt Bryce will be able to, once pre-season training starts, be able to walk back into that club and be the professional that he's always been. He wanted to go, and it caught Carlton by surprise the manner in which it was done. Initially, Adelaide Crows making it public, and then Carlton playing catch-up footy. And that, no doubt, to me, uh, created a resolving Carlton to... to Say to, say to Adelaide Crows that if this is going to happen, it's going to happen on our terms only, and our terms are these, and they were basically uh, insurmountable when it came to the, the Crows in the end. So what happens with that situation now? Are we essentially treading water when it comes to Bryce Gibbs and Carlton for the 2017 season? Is this a trade that is now going to get done in 12 months' time? Well, if you go back to the, I suppose, the situation in, in, in this time last year where Cam McCarthy, the young player, and didn't have the clout and the status that... Bryce Gibbs has at Carlton, but there was that threat made by his management that, well, we'll back here next year. Just put a pause on this and we'll back here next year. I actually don't see that being an absolute guarantee with Bryce Gibbs. He, we've seen players, and, and Wayne Campbell's a good example at Richmond, and Rhino Keefe's another one of the Swans. They can go back to their footy clubs because they do have the history there, and 
they can have good years straight away. Uh, in, in Rhino Keith's case, he uh, won a Norman Smith medal and won a best and fairest. And in Wayne Campbell's case, he, he had a very good career beyond the time that he wanted out of Richmond and was about to be sent out of Richmond. And they're just two examples off the top of their head. I, I just think it's a, it's a watch, and, watch and see sort of situation with Bryce Seb. I really do. He's, a, he's obviously a quality player. He's a quality person. He will go back into that cult and life straight away. And look, I think the conversation will be had regularly, but... At the same time, I don't see it as a guarantee that he leaves because ultimately, at this time next year, he's still got two years of a contract to run that uh, obviously this time right now, it's, it's three years. The Blues are better with him. There's no doubt about that. Jager O'Meara was the massive story of Trade Week. It was as far back as September 13 where he first said, I want to go to Hawthorne. And yet a deal wasn't done until nine minutes before the trade deadline. What was yeah. going on there? Yeah, it, it, it played out, and, and it required. And again, I still think, and we we see this uh, the, the transactioning that Hawthorne had done with uh, with St Kilda as, as being a a case and a and a um, I suppose a swap of picks that that has raised eyebrows. And I still believe the deal that was ultimately the one that freed up O'Meara to go to Hawthorne was was the one with Carlton. And that, to me, you know, also requires you know close examination. What why did Carlton need to help Hawthorne over the line on that? And again. I don't say this because of any other reason than Stephen Silvani, he plays poker in this space and the poker game he played on Bryce Gibbs, as we just touched on, was, was one where Bryce Gibbs stays a Carlton player. For no reason at all, basically, they got involved with Hawthorne to allow Hawthorne to get home mirror. There was no obvious reason as we speak why they would do that. And, and Stephen Silvani doesn't do such acts during trade period without there being a, a gain for his club. Initially, it was GWS in his former life and, and now it's Carlton. So, Look, that, that was the issue, and that's why it took so long. They'd exhausted all options, and, and in the end, despite um, offloading uh, the, the, the two iconic Hawthorne figures in, in Lewis and Mitchell, they, they weren't prepared then to offload a, a younger required player, so they needed the, the, the help of a third party. The third party was Carlton, and to me, that was the one, I think, that um, you know has, that doesn't quite pass the, the smell test as we speak, even two days after it happened. So what's happened there? I mean, is there now credit in the bank for Carlton when it comes to the Hawks? Is it a situation where next year at trade period, they can go to Hawthorne and say, hey, guys, you owe us one? Yeah, and again, there's no paperwork, there's no fingerprints, but there's a nudge, nudge, wink, wink, hey, we uh, did this last year and you need to help us now. And, and th- this happens, and this is where the AFL can't police it, but... The deal where Hawthorne initially got uh, the, the pick 10, you know, to, to get back in, I mean, they've given up an extraordinary amount of, uh, of draft points to, to do that. I mean, even the dealing set around getting Tyrone Vickery in as a free agent, there was controversy around that. The clubs aren't buying the fact that the, the release that he had uh, a two-year contract from Hawthorne, um, they believe it's a three-year contract on, on less money than the, the half million dollars that will be under the two-year deal. But what it did by making it two years was was allow him to pass as a Richmond player into a Hawthorne club as a free agent with a compensation that allowed Richmond to get the second round compensation. And look, that's still that was being investigated by the AFL even late in the week, and yet yet to see an answer on that. But. There's dodgy stuff going all around, and even the deadline that passed beyond two o'clock. Now, again, you've had uh, you've had six months when it's all said and done about getting these deals done. Two o'clock comes, and there were still three big names not on that board at two o'clock when the deadline came. And okay, the AFL will say it's only paperwork being processed, but at the same time, how long do you need? And they they will allow things to go through when it uh, when it suits them, and they will track down on other things when it also suits them. It's an interesting situation. Just uh, to explain to those who may not, may not understand it, why does the, how does the length of Vickery's contract affect Richmond's compensation? 
Yeah, it, it's, it's, I'll try and uh, nutshell it as best I, I can, Seb. In offering a two-year deal at, say, $500,000 for each of those two years, it's a million-dollar offer, which Richmond wasn't going to offer on, uh, to, to match as a free agent to Vickery on, on that situation. Had it been the three years, which the other clubs believe it to be, of, of $400,000 times three, so one point two over three years, Richmond almost certainly would have matched it and Vickery wouldn't have got the easy and, and the smooth transition from Richmond to Hawthorne. Um, also, in believing or accepting it's a two-year deal, they do then get the second-round compensation. So it's win-win. And I'll be really keen to see what happens to Tyrone Vickery at the end of 2018 because uh, there's basically 16 other footy clubs that believe it's a, it's a three-year deal. I mean, he will naturally become, you know, stay as a Hawthorne player beyond the, the two years that has been published. And even on that too, Seb, the, the club itself, the Hawks, put out a press release saying it was a three-year deal. And within 30 seconds of putting that out and that being reported, they were retracting their own <laughs> press statement saying it was three years. So... Again, a little bit more transparency from the AFL would uh, would be good, but again, they're, they're happy too because it's been a it's been a pretty uh, tumultuous period, which has created headlines uh, in the week leading into the the great uh, Cox Plate race. It's given us a lot to talk about, and you've been all over it, mate. Thanks for joining us, Damien Barrett. Thanks, Ed. We have him on the line, the man himself, our hero when it comes to Formula One, the Australian Dan Ricardo. Morning, mate. Good morning. Well, mate, back on top of the podium in Malaysia. That's where we want to see you, and I'm sure it was where you wanted to be. Yeah, it was. Um, I felt a long time coming, but because of the weight, it, it made it very, very sweet. Borderline emotional, but um, yeah, it was. It was awesome. I absolutely loved it. And we loved it too, mate. And we love when you get to uh, just have a little bit of a skull out the shoe. Have you been surprised at how much <laughs> the shoey has taken off? Yes, absolutely. It's blown up. Like we were in Japan last weekend, and the amount of Japanese people that couldn't speak English but could say the word shui was <laughs> kind of overwhelming. So it's, it's ridiculous. Uh, I know I wasn't the first guy in the world to do it, but uh, let's say within the Formula One world, it's taken, uh, taken off very well. Hey, I, I saw you uh, had some pretty, I think, uh, sensible and, and uh, uh, sympathetic comments to those blokes who got locked up in Malaysia for celebrating your win. Did you feel that was a bit over the top, the way they got locked up for a few days? Yeah, I mean, I obviously felt for them because I, I knew they didn't intend any, let's say, um, you know, sure they were, they were caught up in the moment. And I think they, it was just simply they didn't quite know, the, let's say, the law, the rules there in, in Malaysia. And obviously, I thought they thought it was just a bit of fun at the time, but it was, yeah, obviously frowned upon in, in Malaysia. So, sure, a bit of a slap on the wrist, but, um, you know, I'm glad it didn't escalate from there. So that was that was good to see that they're sort of, I believe, back home now and, can, uh, can, yeah, wear the budget smugglers and all. <laughs> <laughs> Cooler heads prevailed eventually. Now, mate, uh, over there, it's you know been a bit of a, uh, in terms of the top of the Drivers' Championship has been an arm wrestle between Mercedes. Nico's having a sensational season. What's the atmosphere like over there in the Mercedes garage? Uh, uh, tense? Um, I think it's, it's sort of been like that the last few years, you know, since they've been fighting for a world title. They've, they've had their moments on and off the track, but I don't, I don't think it seems any more tense than normal. I guess, you know, for Nico, it's, it's new territory, you know, being being the favourite with a few races to go. But, yeah, I mean, from, from the outside, it's always entertaining. I'll try and, you know, get in the mix and pull the party if I can. Mate, I could, I, I could see you winding them both up beautifully at some stage throughout the season. <laughs> I, I am a bit of a stirrer, so I, I don't mind a bit of that. <laughs> yeah, Lewis, you'll never guess what Nico was just saying.
<laughs> and mate, um, we love sort of theorising. You know, when we see that, uh, you know, Max earlier in the season was having the better finishes than you. We were saying, what's going on? I mean, are we? Is the Aussie getting the best of the garage and the best of the cars? How, how are you feeling about the equipment you're being given at the moment? Yeah, it's, I mean, I've I've never um, I've never sort of had any doubts or anything like that with with equality. And I think because I've been with Red Bull, you know, even before the F1 stuff, you know, with their junior programs. From day one, you know, they were always big on everyone that they treated the same. Um, And, uh, you know, I I felt like, you know, there was a few races this year with, with, let's say, strategy or some things, which I thought could have gone my way better. But that's sort of during the race and, and like, heat of the moment stuff. And those things happen. So it was just more of a a sort of, I would say, unlucky run where things just didn't work out. But in terms of, like, equipment and all that, you know, it's... They're at least trying to give us the same stuff. And, mate, uh, we've got, I think, four rounds left in the F1 season. You're in the States at the moment for the US Grand Prix. Uh, of the remaining rounds, which is your favourite track? Oh, um, we've got a pretty good run, like, for the rest of the year, but I, I do love it here in Austin. It's fun. Like, the circuit's really cool. Um, it's got a bit of everything, but also the city. Like, it's just, yeah, they really embrace the race and, uh, and get amongst it. And it's just different. It's, it's a very weird, authentic city. So... Yeah, this is probably my favourite one. Well, mate, we wish you well. And, and then, obviously, uh, in the off-season, things turn to the future. I seem to recall that um, you signed a bit of a contract with Red Bull for a while. Is, is that are you sort of locked in there for for a little while? Yeah, so I've got a couple more years with them. Uh, I think Max is in a similar boat. So, yeah, we'll, we'll probably be put here for the next year and um Hopefully, uh, it turns into a, a championship hunt. Let's hope. We, uh, we no doubt uh, will be very, very pleased to see that. Well, mate, good luck this weekend for the US Grand Prix. It is always great to catch up. Uh, we love hearing your voice and look forward to chatting again. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Coming up, Usain Bolt is on his way to Melbourne. He's coming to Oaks Day and we'll chat to his best mate in this city, John Stephenson, the Australian sprinter. Ready. A bounce, a right for Nada. The biggest high-fly act you've ever seen in your life. Hey. Come on, mate. Is Brian Taylor. Looks like I'm the only one to win a Coleman and be in a film. And this is Bristles Missing. Take your flags, stick them you know where. But before we talk Usain Bolt, we're going to talk to this man. Morning, BT. So Usain Bolt is coming and all you can do is talk to his best mate. Well, Brian, he's probably in transit somewhere. So we've pulled the man who is responsible for bringing him to Australia. Come on, mate! Dude. This is a big deal. It's a it's a big weekend breakfast exclusive, if you don't mind. So you're saying Bolt here? Who's going to talk to his mate? <laughs> well, mate, with you on the program, we needed to find some real stars to beef uh, up the lineup. Mate, I'm tired because um, I have been all night last night and yesterday afternoon at practice for the Speedway, the World. Grand Prix um, FIM Speedway. Uh, yeah, uh, so this is uh, the sort of motocross event. It's uh, guys no, it's race not, race around not, on a bike without brakes. Not motocross. No, I know, but I'm just trying to paint speedway, a picture. Paint a wide picture. sideways, yep. yes. Uh, these are 70 horsepower machines go about 100 miles an hour. And no brakes, no gears. And uh, it's at Eddie Head Stadium. They've built a magnificent track. You wouldn't believe the transformation of Eddie Head Stadium looks Absolutely sensational. So looking forward to that tonight. We're, we're heading off there tonight. It's a big weekend in Melbourne. I uh, heard a little promo before from Metro Trains who were advising people on public transport because there were all sorts of things going on. There's an event for people who like to dress up as zombies. Uh, there's the Speedway. And then at the showgrounds tomorrow, there's World Vegan Day. 
Oh, gee. Mm. Well, my advice there would be, uh, well, vegans always look like they need a good feed and they want to eat you, so stay away from <laughs> them. That would be my advice. There might be a few zombies at World Vegan Day because they haven't no, had some... Do you think could it's... be a busy day down Brunswick Street. It's uh, <laughs> a day then, uh, for a vegan day, because I'll all be down there searching for a feed and pretending they don't want to eat, and they really just want to eat you. <laughs> There's something quite Stay amusing. Stay clear of the vegans, I'm telling you. <laughs> something they quite look amu- like they need a good feed, they look sick, and they look like they want to eat you. <laughs> I'm quite amused by the fact that World Vegan Day is being held at the Melbourne Showgrounds. Yeah, that's an unusual place out there in amongst all the royal show bloody cattle and stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it is. Uh, it is interesting. World Vegan Day. Yeah. What? What is it? What are we? What are we doing to ourselves? We've lost the plot, mate. We've lost yeah. the plot. How was yeah. Bali? You were off last week because you're on a little family holiday off to Bali. Yeah. Did you have a good time? Yeah, I had a good time, but probably won't go back. It's a dirty, filthy, stinking <laughs> sort of hole. Uh, and, uh, you know, I've been there a few times now, and uh, that is enough for me back there. Just the uh, smell of the raw sewer every time you wake up in the morning is, is enough for me. But we stayed in a place called Changu, which yep. is north of Seminyak and Kuda. Yep. Um, become quite a trendy little place for is Westerners. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, glad so you didn't was... get locked up. Everybody who goes to Asia at the moment is getting locked up, from the Budgie well, Nine down to Wayne Gardner in Japan. Yeah. Well, we were um, not – we didn't stay that far away from Kiribati Prison, and uh, – <laughs> Oh, actually, we actually went to Kiribati Prison because we, <laughs> we wanted to have it. Apparently, you can do tours. Yeah. Uh, the tour was booked out the day we were there. But, uh, you can go to Kiribati and you can line up and you can do tours of the prison. Is that right? Inside, yeah. Okay. I think Quite Chappelle lives over in Bali at the moment. You didn't run into Chappelle, Corby, did you? Didn't run into Chappelle. No. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, no, all, all clear there. But uh, some dodgy stuff going on over there with the coppers. <laughs> I, can, I can assure you of that. Well, mate, you enjoy the weekend, particularly Speedway tonight at Eddie Had. Yeah. Tickets via Ticketmaster. Uh, and enjoy uh, World Vegan Day tomorrow as well. Uh, by the way, how did you think the trade went, Seb? All good? Yeah, oh, there's a fair bit going on. I'm still happy because my Bombers not only get 12 players back from suspension, but we've yeah. still got the number one draft pick. Who's that? Well, we're going to get him, whoever it is. We haven't chosen yet, Brian. That's not oh, till the yeah. end of November. But uh, look, a Hawthorne dealing with and an, an right on the edge of uh, player discontentment, I reckon. They've got to be really careful. It can rip, when, you, when you take away the guns like that, it can rip the heart and soul out of the place. Well, what do you do when you've got a leadership group of half a dozen blokes and two members of your leadership group won't be at preseason this year? Yeah, it's, uh, it's tough. And I know they've got to make way for O'Meara, and I know that's why they had to do it and all that sort of thing. But it, it can hurt, especially someone like Jordan Lewis. Jordan Lewis would have been sit, two weeks ago, Jordan Lewis would have been sitting there thinking, I'm going to be the next captain of Hawthorne. Hodge is probably going to step down yeah. during the summer. I'm going to be, and all of a sudden, they don't want him. Bizarre, so, You know? Bizarre. I've uh, got to get to Johnny Stephenson, who uh, is the oh, best the mate, mate of you, Usain, Usain Bolt, yeah. who's bringing him yeah, out to Australia. Don't miss, you know, I thought, don't miss Usain Bolt's mate. <laughs> For goodness sake. Oh, you're a shocker. Have a good yeah. weekend. Bye. So let's have a look. Bolt's giving Gatlin a start. He's well back. Gatlin's got a good lead. Bolt to come in hard from Vietti. Gatlin's still in front. Usain's going to do it. He's a genius. The greatest. He is a genius, Usain Bolt, and he's coming to Melbourne for Oaks Day. The man who has helped get him here is one of our greatest ever 400-metre runners, and he joins us on the line now. Morning, John Stephenson. What's going on, brother? How are you? Mate, I'm doing really, really well. Uh, you must be pretty excited. Get to hang out with Usain Bolt in the coming weeks? Uh, no, mate, because it, when Usain comes out here, so does the circus, brother. So, uh, sometimes, <laughs> so, so sometimes it's better just hanging out in private. But no, he's a good man. It's good to have him in, uh, in Australia. He loves it out here. And um, 
you know, it shows obviously how good a nation we have that, that uh, the world's fastest man loves to come holiday and uh, enjoy the fruits of our country. But when he comes out, do people recognise him? Does he just attract people <laughs> to him? You know, you know, I said to you the other day, we were in, uh, we were in London and I wanted to, I wanted to go to, to Selfridges to go shop. And I said to him, uh, he said, oh, I'll come with you. He said, I said, man, there's no chance. I'm not going because if you come, everyone recognises you and then it just becomes a headache trying to get from the hotel to Selfridges. So I said, you stay here, I'm going to go to Selfridges. <laughs> and he said, no, man. No, I said, you're saying you're six foot five tall, brother. And, and not only that, you're dark as well, brother. So you stand out, mate. So that's not going to really help. You can't be conspicuous. I'm short. I'm 5'10". No one noticed me. I can blend in with a crowd of thousands of people. So it's just like, he's so tall. It's just hard not to notice him, man. He's got a very distinct walk and a very distinct look because he is the fastest man in the world. And look, he's a global superstar. So it's, um, look, he's, He's transcended not only sport, but I think just culture in general now, you know. So everybody knows who he is and everybody just wants to be around him. I said it the other day on, um, on Wide Order Sports. He's, he's the, uh, the modern-day Muhammad Ali. You know? And that's to be, I mean, I'm not being facetious in saying that. He really is. So, um, but, yeah, he's, um, he deserves everything he's, um, he's, he gets and as far as um, the accolades. And his movie comes out on the 29th of uh, November, which, will be, which, which Uncle Steph cameos in. Really? Which would be, be pretty cool to watch. And uh, the trailer casting we had it on the morning show yesterday on Channel 9. So, um, yeah, it, 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 it's, it's, this movie's going to be great. It's a great insight on, on him and, um, and, 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 and the real him. And people, what people don't get, they only get to see him celebrating after races. But, um, you know, the behind the scenes that they've captured and sort of the people close around him and, and sort of how, how we see him, uh, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a documentary really to watch. And I think it will be one that similar to pumping iron over the years you watch with Arnold Schwarzenegger will be something yeah. sim- very similar to that do the same thing for athletics I Am Bolt is the name of the movie and we're talking to Uncle Steph aka John Stephenson the great Australian 400 metre runner now you and Bolt your mates you obviously have sprinting or running in common as some common ground between the two of you but when you're hanging out what do you talk about beside athletics what's he into <laughs> oh yeah. he's, he's very much uh you know, I think what people got to understand, you know, when you're when you're as big as he is now, as far as his stardom and his celebrity, um, you want normality. You know, you you want to be like everybody else. And I, I think the, the circle of friends which he has around, either have been in a very smaller scale in the same position, or have been close to him for a lot of years, so they know him very very well. Um, and you know, mainly, I mean, for, for us, it's just about having a laugh. We laugh a lot. Like I was just texting him now. He's in Dubai. And um, and we're just taking the mickey out of one of our friends. I mean, that that's sort of similar to... Similar wait, wait, to hang on, hang on. I'm talking to you, and you're texting Usain Bolt as we speak. As we speak. <laughs> that is <laughs> so cool. No, look, it's funny, man. People say it. It's funny. You've got to understand, for me, we, we started running and made friends in 2005, a long time ago. And it's hard for me. He's my friend first, but happens to be the fastest man in the world. It's very weird sometimes, and I'm sure a lot of people are, uh, have family members or friends that are in a similar position but it's it's just yeah you know i see i see him as as you're saying first and foremost and it's, it's very hard sometimes for us because when you go out you realize how how much of a superstar he really is and you have a bit of a reality check that this guy is uh has done something very special mate uh, just uh, say seb says g'day on the text if you wouldn't mind <laughs> uh, mate, i'll say seb did a very good job yesterday hosting the men of melbourne oh, hey, yes hey, we hey, did hey, mate hey, you were dominating hey. there as you do on uh, wide world of sports on the nine network johnny stephenson we appreciate uh, you coming on on late notice to talk to you saying go well 
my pleasure, mate. Anything to support you, Seb. Doing a great job, Alan. Mate, you're a legend. Johnny Stephenson finishing us off on Triple M's weekend breakfast for this Saturday. Triple M trainees, wise up. Ditch the paperwork and run your business on bridge. Triple M's weekend breakfast with Seb Costello.